Man can kill, but can he resuscitate? Even until the middle of the 20th century, lissom cheetahs snarled across central India's grasslands. Then, extinction struck. But a wildlife experiment hopes to funnel in a makeover this year. About a dozen African cheetahs are likely to be translocated to India in an attempt to revive this docile cat in the country. Does this project deserve a thumbs up or a goodbye kiss? We will find out in this Torah Torah ride of the issue through the Newsreel Asia podcast series. Will the cheetah change its spots? Ramanuj Pratap Singh Deo's cautery didn't think twice about jabbing bullets into cheetahs. They didn't blink about staging a photo shoot of the Maharaja with the lifeless cats and felt zero awkwardness tooting their horn about this grisly act. In the early months of 1948, an envelope dropped in the mailbox of the Bombay Natural History Society. Ripping the cover open, members of the society were speechless. It was a letter from the private secretary of Ramanuj Pratap Singh Deo, along with a photograph. The letter divulged no remorse, only jubilation about the killing of the last three cheetahs in India by the Maharaja. Nauseated and seething with anger, the Bombay Natural History Society published the photo of this gun-toting king triumphantly standing with his skills lying at his feet. Its publication here is intended in the nature of impeachment, said the report in the society's journal. Of course, the crime was irreversible. Only species that has gone extinct in India. In recent times, in peninsular India, large mammal has been the cheetah. So, there is always that yearning to bring it back. You just heard M.K. Ranjit Singh Jhala. The 82-year-old former civil servant remains utterly crestfallen about the flatlining of the Asiatic cheetah's population pulse in India. I uh, subscribe to the fact that um, extinction is one of the saddest um, occurrences in the world. (laughs) 
Ranjit Singh speaks slowly. Long pauses speed bump his speech. For me, it mirrored the fits and starts of his long-drawn crusade to resurrect the spotted cat in India. Sadly, the decades-long wildlife tug of war ended up disrupting another vulnerable group, one of India's oldest indigenous communities, the Saharias. <laughs> actually as early as 1951 or 52. You heard Divya Bhanu Singh, the breathless spinner of this feline yarn in the previous episode. Just to rejig your memory, he's the author of the only book on the history of cheetahs in India. The Indian Board for Wildlife said, look, cheetahs have become extinct in India and we should import. And it should be a bold experiment. Dregs of the smaller, nimble-footed Asiatic cheetahs now lurked in the wild 3,000 kilometers from India, only in the West Asian country of Iran. It's having huge consequences. Fewer than 100 Asiatic cheetahs Soon after India's independence, Asiatic cheetahs had ceased mewing in the forests of Punjab, Haryana, Rajasthan, Gujarat, even Orissa, Karnataka and Andhra Pradesh. Then, in 1955, splintered efforts to bring the beautiful cat back began. The State Wildlife Board of the South Indian state of Andhra Pradesh suggested the spotted feline be reintroduced in at least two of its districts. But this plan merely taxied the runway. The reintroduction of cheetahs slipped into the first of many hibernations. Not emerging from it, until the 1970s when Mrs. Indira Gandhi was the Prime Minister. Exchanging wild animals was a tactic to improve ties with countries. China, for instance, has a long history of lending pandas to improve global relations. During Indira Gandhi's first decade as India's Prime Minister, foreign policy dialogues with the Shah of Iran, Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi, included cheetah diplomacy. And at that time, the Indian government was talking to the Iranian government, uh, the Shah of Iran, Reza Shah Pahlavi II, to say, okay, give us your cheetahs and we will give you back your land. And it would, it would have been a fair exchange. But what happened was that we got into the emergency of 1975. Divya Banu Singh is referring to the political turmoil that year when India's Prime Minister Indira Gandhi restrained civil liberties during a period called the emergency. The president has proclaimed emergency. This is nothing to panic about. It ended with her political party, the Indian National Congress's defeat in the 1977 general election. When Mrs. Indira Gandhi was thrown out and the, the, the succeeding governments were too busy holding on to power, they were not interested in this kind of a swap. And by the time Mrs. Gandhi came back to power, 
Shah of Iran himself had been dethroned in 1979. So nothing came out of that. The Shah of Iran fled the country. Plans to reintroduce the cheetah in India remained under latch and key through the 1980s and the 1990s. And I myself wrote that I'm writing this book and if it really ignites some interest in bringing back the cheetah, it would have served its purpose. But then again, nothing happened, uh, though my book came out in 1995, the end of a trade. Meanwhile, another feline roared into the frame. In 1998, a conservation project to create a second population of Asiatic lions in India was flagged off. Some prides or groups of lions were to be moved from their Gujarat home in the Gir National Park to a place called Kuno in Madhya Pradesh. This was India's heartland and largely tiger and leopard country. To bring in another big cat, Kuno's boundaries had to be stretched. the forest's indigenous residents were asked to decamp. The Saharias were among the oldest inhabitants of the subcontinent and amongst 75 particularly vulnerable tribal groups in the country. They were now being told to bundle up and leave their ancestral forest home in the central Indian grasslands, fringed with gentle sloping jungle hills. Eight kilometers away from Kuno, in the neighboring village of Agra, bulldozers overtimed, ramming through trees and gnawing through other vegetation. So it was really like a moonscape. I'm uh, Asmita Kabra. I am a, a university lecturer at the Ambedkar University's uh, School of Human Ecology. I've been associated with the Kuno landscape since 1998 helping the resettled villages from Kuno to rebuild their livelihoods. Nearly 5,000 people, largely Saharias, and a few belonging to other communities from 24 villages descended on this flattened dust bowl from the fertile banks of the Kuno River. And, you know, the Indian, North Indian summer, when it's hot and these dry winds are blowing and there is not a tree, not a stick in sight. And people have just put up their, you know, makeshift sort of tent kind of houses with tarpaulin on top. So the, obviously the disruption was massive. People voluntarily leaving their homes were granted two hectares of farmland and rupees 36,000 for household construction. When they were inside, one of the ways in which consent was, as I say, manufactured is by moving the police thana. The place becomes insecure because this is chambal, right? And there were dacoits and when that choice isn't there, then I don't think it's really fair to call it voluntary. And yet people make the best of what happens, but we need to salute them for making the best of a bad situation rather than saying it's it's actually good. <laughs> Eji 
Ramlal Ravaria was about 18 years old when this occurred. He recollects vividly how his family arrived in Agra on a tractor with their belongings. Gradually, the entire village was vacuumed out. So, here they उनके पीछे फिर पूरा गांव ही मतलब हर रोज ट्रैक्टर जाता और एक एक परिवार को भर के लाता है दो ट्रैक्टर एक परिवार को भर के ले आते ट्रॉलीज पे Sultan Jatav wasn't one of the Sahariyas, but his family and a settlement of the Jatav caste were also uprooted. It was a rainy night. The year was 1999. Sultan was just seven years old. He elbowed for space with 20 other cousins and family members on a trolley dragged by a tractor, staggering through slushy paths, even getting stuck in a ditch at one point. He recalls that night like a screen. Our family, this day, was very fast. That day, there was a lot of rain. And in that rain, we all got filled with water. We got filled with water and we got filled with water. We went through the whole way. There was a whole path in the way. So, the tractor got filled. रात तक लोगों ने उसको ट्रैक्टर को ना एक ट्रैक्टर बुलाया फिर उसको निकाला तब तक हम उस सर्दी में एक पेड़ के नीचे बैठे रहे अपने पेरेंट्स के साथ ना कुछ खाने को था ना कुछ कोई फैसिलिटी नहीं थी और रात को आई थिंक दो तीन बजे यहाँ पर जहाँ गांव है वहाँ पर आए और ट्रॉली के नीचे हम लोगों for instance, illnesses meant long walks through the forest to a village to consult a doctor. He really believed that relocating out of the forest would erase existing hardships. We thought that if it happens, it can happen that we will take a home in the city and build a good house, a good house, a good school. We were happy that it will happen from here. So it's the win-win narrative that people don't get enough facilities in forested areas and uh, wildlife needs undisturbed space. And so relocating people, especially if they are willing to go themselves, is a win-win solution. As I put it somewhere, you can have your conservation cake and also eat your development cake. More curveballs followed. When I called Ramlal and asked him about early days in the new settlement, he sketched a laundry list of woes. Water shortages, droughts, failed harvests. Yeah, to kam se kam teen saal tak to koi basale nahi hui thi. Ah, bhooke marge, matlab sukha usi baar sukha pade gaya do saal. To aur bhooke marge ki kagar pe aa gaye log. वहाँ तो बहुत गहरी जमीन थी तो सभी को मतलब पारा हो जाता यहाँ तो बिल्कुल दो फिट जमीन ही नहीं है कि मतलब चार इंच कहीं पे 
कई बेग फिट दो फिट ऐसी जमीन है पानी तो यहाँ है ही नहीं पर्याप्त What I found was that agricultural incomes crashed by as much as 40 to 90 percent. Where people settle on their own, they find good land, a source of water, and that's how settlements happen. When they were resettled, they were settled on land that was available but unoccupied. That would usually be land which was not occupiable, right? In the sense that it would not be close to a water source. because that land is already taken by someone else it is not really cultivable which is why it is that land frontier has not been opened up meanwhile at kuno a tsunami of grass surged over the abandoned lands spurred by a wider grazing area the number of spotted deer and other herbivores spiked fivefold The benefits were meager for the displaced. If you if you see it from the side of the affected community, availability of water, fodder, fuel uh, sources, agricultural capability of the land, all of these were a huge drop from what they had. And I'm not even talking here about the other things that. you know land means to people all the immeasurable things it means a sense of place memories things like that you know uh, of course no displacement can ever capture that 10 15 din ka ek mahine to waisa laga tha suna suna sa kyunki wahan to jangal aur sabhi cheez thi to sham sanja havere matlab dekhne ke liye aur नदी पे चले जा रहे तो चीतल मीतल भी पानी पीते नजर आते पर यहाँ कहाँ रखे वो सब आई आस्ट राम लाल वेदर दे वर डाउन कास्ट टू लीव बिहाइंड होम द हेल्पलेसनेस इन हिज बॉयज वॉज टफ टू स्वॉलो रोना तो किसी ने नहीं रोया क्योंकि अब छोड़ना ही है तो सबने सोच लिया कि छोड़ना तो है ही अब क्या करें जमीन और ये सब मिल रही थी इसलिए सभी लोगों ने ऐसा रोने धोने का तो कुछ किया नहीं वैसे ही चले आए सब मोर देन सेवन इयर्स आफ्टर द सहरियामेंट ऑफ गुजरात वॉज Others circled the forest department for payments towards building their homes. Tensions frothed. In 2007, after intense deliberations, residents of 28 displaced villages approached Kuno Sanctuary's gates. They tried to force their way into their old homes. Forest guards and police jostled to halt the march. When people didn't yield to warnings, tear gas was fired. The smoke caused irritation and squeezed tears from the protesters' eyes. Tempers rose. Picketers shoved stones at the police. In retaliation, bullets were shot in the air. The scuffle ended with the arrest of some villagers. Sultan Jatov's father was among those thrust behind bars. हम बहुत छोटे थे लेकिन हम वहाँ गए थे क्या होगा ये सब देखने के लिए तो महिलाओं ने और पुरुषों ने उसमें भाग लिया अट्ठाईस गांव के लोगों ने इन्होंने कहा कि हम अपने घर वापस जाएंगे तो फॉरेस्ट ने कहा कि तुम्हारा काय का घर ये तो सेंचुरी है 
तो लोगों ने जबरदस्ती की जाने के लिए तो उधर से आंसू गैस के गोले फेंक दिए गए तो उससे बहुत धुआं हुआ है लोगों की आंखों में जलन होने लगी तो जनता में बहुत आक्रोश हो गया क्योंकि जनता बहुत थी तो इधर से जनता ने पथराव कर दिया पथराव कर दिया तो उन्होंने और आंसू गैस के गोले फेंकना चालू किया जनता के ऊपर लट देना चालू कर दिया हवाई फायरिंग करने लगे और उस समय जो आंदोलन का संचालन कर रहे थे उन लोगों को अरेस्ट कर लिया गया और उन पर केस लगा दिया गया और उनको वहां से सीधे शोपुर जेल भेज दिया गया For years, the arrested villagers were asked to present themselves to court as the case dragged on. Work of this kind was done to bring back lands, and the politics didn't allow that, so they want to dump cheetahs. This is Ullas Karanth, the conservation zoologist you heard in episode one. After failed efforts to bring the cheetah in the 1950s then the 1970s a sliver of hope appeared in 2009 the idea shook awake from a half a century long coma the then environment minister jairam ramesh revived talks with iran about exchanging cheetahs sadly in a replay of the indian apocalypse The Asiatic cheetah was now in the brink of extinction in Iran. The West Asian country's willingness to swap cheetahs for lions had waned. So, the following year, talks began with conservation groups in countries like Namibia to bring in the African cheetah. Kuno reappeared on the conservation map. with a large prey population flourishing on grasslands flooding abandoned villages it seemed like an ideal habitat for the cheetah the lion project had bitten the dust the sanctuary began readying for its new residents lorry marker of the cheetah conservation fund flew into kuno from namibia in august 2011 A YouTube video shows Lori speaking from behind the camera as she zooms over the lush Kuno landscape. We're just looking at a map of where we are, which is important. We've all agreed that we think we like this place. This area, Kuno Wildlife Sanctuary, is one of the most uh, uh, promising areas for bringing back some of the species which we had uh, maybe sent. But the project came to a screeching halt in 2012 by brakes pulled by India's top judicial institution the supreme court the apex court ruled that the whole program of relocation was ill conceived as they were reintroducing a foreign species african cheetahs and not asiatic cheetahs moreover the court ruled that the reintroduction of lions should be given priority and executed within 6 months bolo vaso puri ka pairiya palapure bolo vaso oli dare daini 
nothing happened for over a decade. Despite the court's ruling, the lions never arrived. In January 2020, the Supreme Court of India ruled that the African cheetah could be brought in on an experimental basis to Kuno. The Supreme Court then in the subsequent uh, order, just before the pandemic or January, they re-examined this whole thing and said, okay, the proposal of the government of India was indeed within the framework of IUCN, that is International Union for the Conservation of Nature and Natural Resources, and therefore an African subspecies can be imported into India where the Indian species had gone, subspecies had gone extinct, as has happened in the case, for instance, of Oryx being taken to Arabia, where they had been completely wiped out, and these Oryxes were from Africa, different subspecies. So on that basis, this new permission has come. The Saharias, of course, had no stake in these decisions. In fact, some wildlife conservators don't even consider them as part of the story anymore since they are now outside the boundaries of the park. You see, the point is, in this area, there, there is no human population. There were something like 23 villages, okay? Several years ago, these villages were moved out to prepare this place for the reintroduction of the lion. So, I frankly don't know what the big hoo-ha about uh, human cheetah conflict is uh, all about. I tried hard to wrap my head around what it could be to be asked to leave your home. Say tomorrow somebody tells me to abandon my house and I'm given compensation and land to settle elsewhere. How would I feel? What would my struggle be like? I cringe to visualize the scene. Neither of these stories fits very well with the ground reality. Think about it like this, that when you're doing a metro project in Delhi and extending it, you still acquire land, but it's far more consultative and, you know, metro the solution is more conversation and, you know, better negotiation. For a very, very, very dear friend from the, uh, from one of the resettled villages, we once went back with him, back to the original village. We said, you know, take us back there and uh, you show us what used to be where and and you know I, I mean I don't have words for this I'm tearing up as I say this but um, he actually referred to the entire place in the present tense he didn't say tha Thank <laughs> you.